kind of a, a little bit in her shadow anyway yeah oh. yeah i yeah. think a lot of siblings can relate to that do you ever get that cam did you ever get that you're adina's brother or no because i am the better of the siblings <laughs> <laughs> so you were your neve's sister i'd imagine <laughs> i'd imagine my shadow <laughs> i'd imagine my siblings hate me just because i'm far better than everybody else oh, <laughs> your modesty knows no bounds <laughs> <laughs> You're very welcome to the Straight Talking Mental Health Podcast, where, like the title suggests, we straight talk mental health in a hope to remove the stigma around discussing mental health and mental illnesses. This week, we're discussing carers with a guest we'll be speaking to later. I am joined by Alan Clark, my father, and I am Cameron Clark, his firstborn male heir. Alan, what's the crack? There you go. You got there. I got you there. It, you did a me on it last week. Oh, yeah, was was it quite as bad? But much like Alan last week, I am quite tired. My brain needs to kick into gear. <laughs> uh, what's got you so tired? I have a very sore tooth, like you a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, we seem to have traded places. It just reminded me. I need to ring back that dentist to get yeah. that root canal and crown sorted. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> well, mine is a problem with a previous wisdom tooth removal. Oh, so I knew I knew it was going to be a problem. He said it. He said it as well. He said you just have to kind of come back mm. once a year or so just to make sure it's all good. But You're um, a Neanderthal, yeah, you apparently so. Haven't evolved properly. Yeah, there's, all, there's all all wisdom one. teeth are a, are a carryover from more primitive times when we yeah, when we were a bit more caveman like. Yeah. So didn't have an issue with the rest evolution of them. or evolution in progress. Yeah, didn't have an issue with the rest of them, but that last one. The dentist said, it's very rare that you get out scot-free with a wisdom tooth, and then the last one just fucked me. I never had, I never had any wisdom tooth. No? No. Never had Jesus. Thank fuck. I think Guess you're what's the only person I know who hasn't. <laughs> <laughs> I've evolved, man. <laughs> yeah, you've evolved, apparently. Yeah. He says, go on to get a root canal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that was just neglect years ago, I'd say. Yeah, More so than but um, it has co- caused a few problems with sleeping, which you already have. So extra problems is mm. quite the issue for me. But yeah. I haven't been able to eat or anything. I was kind of, I was saying to you earlier, I was in tears trying to eat some food last night. Tears just rolling Jeez. down my face. Power and true. Had had to get some substance into me. And hopefully get it sorted. You have to dip mm. out later on to try and get that first dental appointment. Oh, I am jumping the second day open that fucking door. <laughs> Give me something, please. Yeah. Oh, yeah, poor old crater. Yeah. A hug, uh, tuck you in, give you a hug. No, no, that, that, that's okay. I just I need to get sorted today. I'm working the rest of the weekend, so if it's not sorted today, it's not sorted till next week. Yeah. Right. No, 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 no. I can't do a weekend of this. How's it going with work? Have you been? Did you eat eat your lunch in work? No, you're I, fully vaccinated, I, and I couldn't physically. <laughs> just with me too. Yeah. Oh, for fuck's sake! No, I literally can't eat. Other, other than that, I did I did games. have an indoor McDonald's during the week. Jesus Christ, you're only back and it's McDonald's. Well, I was just I was in Port Leash and I was with, was with, was with my grandmother and she loves McDonald's. Bid. Yeah, I was with Bid. Good out so Bid. My Go first bid. experience of indoor dining was in McDonald's. Sixteen months was McDonald's. <laughs> but it doesn't matter. It, it was the thought of being indoors. I was looking yeah. out the window. <laughs> 
Well, that's, well, that's something, I guess. What's going mm. on with your work? Work has been a little bit hectic since the announcement that all restrictions are going to be finished by the end of October. So for anyone outside of Ireland, every COVID restriction is going out the door except for the wearing of masks in healthcare services and... Do you know what the other one was? There's one other place. I can't remember what it is. Shopping centres or something? Was it? Oh, yeah, for retail. Yeah. Yeah, so everything else. Any time limits on eating indoors, any benefits of vaccinated people get over unvaccinated, that's all gone, mm. which means that bars, restaurants, hotels will all be going back to late hours and nightclubs will be allowed to open, which means... 4 a.m. finishes for you? Yeah, well, I'd say that that'll be me done with bar work. Oh really? Kind of since since COVID happened, I kind of been of the opinion that when it gets back to late hours, I'm going to try find something else. Like, not particularly fond of going back to work until three a.m. Considering things will go back like that, too. That's what the government thinks anyway. Like if they're going to open nightclubs again, they can't close a pub at half eleven and then expect people to wait around for nightclubs to so open nightclubs their doors. Nightclubs will be back open, will they? Apparently, anyway, that's what they said. Just well, your man Gavin O'Reilly, you know the COVID man. He mm. says nightclubs will be open by the end of October. Jesus. Which, to be honest, I didn't. I thought nightclubs were going to be a long, long no, way away. A long way away. Yeah, yeah. Same here. But no, apparently not. So possible, possible change of career for you. Yeah, well, it, it'll be temporary just till I finish college. I might try find find um, a cafe or something. Mm. Something, because I'm in college in the evening times this year. So okay. bar work wouldn't really suit me anyway, yeah. My final mm. year is evening times, so. I have loads of time to devote to the podcast. Oh yeah, my mornings will be free now. Social media manager and publicist yeah. and producer and well, everything else. If, if you pay me, remember I need to find a job now. Oh, for fuck's sake! Yeah. Yeah. So here we go. Mm. Nah, well that's alright. Yeah. If you're good at something, don't do it for free. Exactly. There's a reason I'm <laughs> doing a degree in it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'll start utilizing it. <laughs> if you're out fucking pappy, you dig out. I've been finding. I've been finding some guests. We've got we've got a good one lined up, which we can't talk about just yet. We have a big no. one next week. Why, which one's uh, next week? We do. Uh, so, do you know Aslan? You know the band Aslan? I don't. How can I protect you in Oh, this okay, and I d- didn't know that was the name of the band. One of one of Ireland's greater bands, probably up there with you two, have kind of been one of the bigger, bigger and longer-running Irish bands. We will have a guest from the band. It's not Christy. Lead singer Christy, but we do have we do have someone else. It wasn't available this week because they were recording something for RTE, oh. but all good for next week. So that should be good. We'll talk Go about us. music and mental health and and all of that kind of stuff. Go us. That's pretty good, isn't it? That is good. Yeah. Where where else would you get would you get the the variety of guests that we have here? Like, oh, we just have everybody. Everyone, like, and everyone, everyone is interesting. Um, we're like we're like Joe Rogan, except we don't do drugs. <laughs> yeah. Well, isn't he fucking taking that like? sheep dewormer or something now that he has covid oh is he yeah he got covid and apparently the thing in america now is they're taking like animal medicine or something yeah he's always been a bit weird hasn't he i like joe rogan's podcast but yeah he's a bit mm. he's a bit strange i don't listen to it. i don't no. i don't know has he got something to do with the ufc or something like that this is well he's a he's the, the commentator yeah that's yeah it. I knew, I knew something to do with that yeah yeah well, he is well we have who we have we've had Home by Sandman, underground New York rapper. We had Mike Slossberg, uh, U.S. politician. We had Mark Willin, recognized author. We had Dr. Jane. 
Uh, we've had all of our guests talking about their various topics. No, we have had a wide selection. Yeah, that's that's fucking good, man. I like mm. that. We had we had James last week, Royal Marines, or a couple of weeks ago, Royal mm-hmm. Marine Sniper. That's that's quite a that's quite an impressive uh, mm-hmm. variety, I would say. I would say we are, as far as variety goes, we're up there. They oh, need definitely. to move us up those Irish charts yeah. just for variety alone. <laughs> Get number one. Speaking of guests, we had Verlin last week. What to make of all that? Young adulthood, you're you. Tom, it, was, you it was wild. <laughs> Verlin has lived a life. Oh, man, I'd say I'd say we could do a topic just on Verlin's life. Yeah. Yeah, and it would have to be like three or four hours. Yeah. We would be digging in. And that's and that's just being uh, a professional volleyball player. <laughs> I would say our last two weeks have been probably the most interesting guests we've had on just because of the lives they've lived. Yeah, yeah. Not even just the mental health topics, but just like their lives are fucking crazy. Uh, And listeners obviously wouldn't have heard it, but Verlin had an alarm set. So he could could come on, so he could come on the podcast and remember Just to make sure he didn't miss it. Because every time we get a US guest on, there's a mix up with daytime savings. No matter how many times, no matter how many times you email them with time references so they know when to come on, it's always a mix up. But he set an alarm and he kept snoozing it instead of turning it off. So every 10 minutes in the podcast, he would just go mute and he'd keep yeah. telling this story. <laughs> Sorry, Verlin, just need you to go back there on that little bit yeah. there if you could just repeat that. Bit. And then he'd forget what he said. Yeah, <laughs> the, the alarm was throwing him. <laughs> Which, uh, worst, according worst to all, you, it made, made it quite the pain for you trying to re- edit that. There you go, exactly what happened. So every time the alarm went off, it knocked his audio out of sync. So every time he spoke, I had to go and cut him, cut it wherever he spoke, drag it back to sync up with us. So basically, every time, every time he spoke, mm. I was ah, uh, so time consuming. Um, but we got this is why I don't edit the podcast. Yeah, it was an interesting guest. Yeah, yeah, we. I was listening back. Some good. I thought it was very informative. Of, oh, it was uh, life challenges and yeah. developmental stages of of young adulthood, your age of mm. you know going out, making your way in the world, and the pressures that are on you. You mentioned the. That pressure to be like a TikTok couple and fucking all this inspirational mm. shite, like an influencer shite that, and I see it all the time in my client work, that that affects people, like, that they think this is how their life should be. Um, and of course, it's bollocks. Verlin had a, made the great point that, you know, as long as you're living your life comparing it to someone else, you're, you're just leading to a world of disappointment. Mm-hmm. She's, we I'd forget that we recorded that two weeks ago. Yeah. We did his interview two weeks ago, and two weeks ago was when my my bank card got copied. Yeah, and somebody tried to pay for dance classes. <laughs> it seems like so long ago now. You have to dip out. You have to dip yeah. out again. In, in the middle that. of the call, yeah. in the middle of the call, the bank calls me and says, "By any chance are you looking to pay for dance classes in Manchester?" You no. weren't. I don't uh, know. No, my my dancing skills are subpar at best, and I don't think two hundred and fifty euro would make them even par. Need a bit more. Yeah, but uh, no, I like I liked their interview with Verlin. I liked how he made the point of discussing mental health in his in his books, but in kind of a subtle yeah. way. Yeah, he kind of loops it into the storyline, so because he, he thinks it's more, it's a better way to approach younger people than just going directly at them. Mm. The other, the other interesting thing was, you know, he said he'd gone to the doctor and the doctor's like, well, how are you feeling? I go, yeah, I'm feeling the same. You know, I'm feeling, feeling, hoping, feeling for the last 15 years. Mm. I was like, oh, 
I've been depressed for the last fucking 15 years. Didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> Gotten so used to feeling the way I was feeling. And that's what happens when you don't go and talk to somebody about it. Yeah. So yeah. how are you supposed to know how you feel yourself? Yeah. And he started a cult. Yeah. Yeah, Merlin <laughs> has been wild. What a, what a life. Yeah. But, you know, the in, the interesting thing was that, uh, and I said it at the time, I think he was kind of talking over me at the same time, like obviously we had a little bit of delay. It all starts with him. Every cult starts with the first disciple. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's how it it's how it grows from that. I watched I watched a lot of documentaries on cults and stuff like that. And I remember seeing this thing before. Um, they were using it as a kind of psychological demonstration of how cults start. And it was like some festival. And just, you know, way at the back, people are just sitting down. And then one guy just starts dancing. And he's just dancing on his own. Mm-hmm. And everyone just kind of is laughing at him. Until one guy gets up and starts dancing with him. And then more people get it up and start dancing. Yeah. And more people start. And then next thing, the whole fucking, the whole field is, is up dancing. But everybody with that guy that followed him. All the sheeple. Yeah. Everybody's a sheep until, yeah. except for the, the one person that starts it all. Yeah, but th- thankfully, you know, Berlin, you know, as he said, his, his guru had prompted him to become a, mm. become a therapist. And he has, you know, has kind of established a, a relationship a distant relationship with him again and mm. the individual recognizes what he did was um wrong was wrong but you know interesting very very interesting very interesting yes yeah, good for us maybe not yeah. good for everybody else but <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know we will milk it we, we will yeah. we will base a podcast on their suffering <laughs> we we know content when we <laughs> see plenty it to, you know, have plenty to talk about with Ferland. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah he was also a professional volleyball player yeah, <laughs> and a taxi driver at one stage. And a taxi driver. But yeah, imagine well. you get some stories out of a taxi driver. Yeah, yeah. So you get some story of a fucking taxi driver up the town. <laughs> yeah. Not how many? Live. How many times a night are you asked? It's the Peter K thing. He goes, you, you just can't help it. You just can't stop yourself. Busy tonight. You've been busy. <laughs> yeah. What time are you on till? <laughs> taxi Standard driver taxi driver small talk. <laughs> stop. You know, you're required. They know it and we know it. I consciously try to um, so, avoid asking that question when I'm in a taxi. Yeah, I know. But, yeah. but there's nothing else you can ask. Yeah, you run out. Yeah, it's either it's either you ask those two questions or you sit there in you silence. Sit in silence. Because <laughs> that, that's the icebreaker. Yeah. That's the, yeah, it's fucking mad, isn't it? Jesus is so busy. Yeah. Oh, Jesus, I said, I should say you're wore out doing it. Yeah. And then, you know, you open it up a little bit. Like what, what, what taxi else are you drivers ask? of the world, we salute you. What size exactly, is your car's yeah. engine? How's the kids? How's the wife? Oh, she left you because you work because you work late hours. Yeah, and, you, and you're never home, and you sleep through the day, and your kids fucking hate you because they can't make any noise. <laughs> Tell me more about that. <laughs> God, it sounds an awful lot like being a bartender. <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. Bartenders and taxi drivers, the best of friends. Yeah. Oh, I get you a taxi. All right, this lad's fucking locked. As long yeah. as you some puke in my car. <laughs> We had some we had some feedback on the social media. Is there is there anything bitchy? Can I say no, no, all very positive this week, unfortunately. Um <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's very fortunate. Yeah. As we had a, we had a, some snippy comments, but um this week we had a we had a positive one from Andrew. No bitchy on, comments this week. No bitchy comments on this week. All, all good on this week. Um Andrew hit us up on the new Twitter handle, as suggested by Cameron Clark, what used to be STR8, and we had to have specified the number eight, 
Talking Pod. But we are now, as is our website, as is the email, STMH Podcast. And it's something we say every week, so I think it made sense just to change it. It did. And good good suggestion from yourself. Well Thank well you. thought out, young man. Well done. Uh Andrew's only catching up with us. Andrew during the week was only on episode three. And he said, it's a welcome relief to discover your podcast at a time I really needed to hear some normality. Thank you. You're very welcome at that, Andrew. Then he said, I'm only I'm only on episode three. And I said, oh, there is plenty of shite talking heading your way. So, Andrew. I'm not <laughs> sure, I'm sure if you've seen it, but your brother also shouted us out. Nicholas. Yeah, I'm not sure if Nick- you've seen it. He shouted us out on Twitter. It was a very I nice did. tweet. He did. Um, Nicky was, Nicky's been up to his eyeballs. Yeah. Uh, been struggling a bit late. He took a few days off work. Had fuck loads to do with painting and shit, so I had plenty of time to listen to pods. And one that sticks out for mental health for me, for the science and getting to know more about it, STMH podcast keeps growing and growing. We do. Thanks, Uncle Nicky. For mm. you, Brother Nicky, for me. That's the one. Yeah. Brother Nicky is very happy lately since Ronaldo went back to United. Yeah. He's getting flashbacks. getting flashbacks to me throwing me off the <laughs> top of Old Trafford. <laughs> well, we brought it Old Trafford. That would have been the last time Ronaldo <laughs> was there. Would have been the fuck. Could have been the last time you lived as well. Yeah. Could have been the last time I was there too. Mm. <laughs> yeah, so it's been a good week for United fans. Do you still follow? Do you still follow? Ah, uh, not really. Classic. I kind of watch, watch it and work. That'd be yeah. Just but just it still it still makes me happy talking to Pope. Mm. See the match. It still, oh, still makes me happy. You know, my childhood club That's getting their superstar back. Yeah, mine, mine was Liverpool. Yeah, well, your Liverpool. your childhood club club is good now. Yeah, but I couldn't. I couldn't jump back on the bandwagon. A client told me I could. He's like, "Who would you follow?" I said, "Jeez, I followed fucking Liverpool back in the day. Graham, yeah. John Barnes, John Aldridge, all them kind of days." I was like, "Oh no!" I said, "You're fucking old school. Like, you know, you, you can jump on this." I was like, yeah. Nah, well, nah, I'm, ban- I'm feeling ban- right about it. Bandwagon just aren't bandwagon, that well just anymore. Bandwagon, yeah, yeah. Um, and but you know, when you're interested in soccer, it means you have things to talk about with other men. That's which it. I usually don't <laughs> see the match. <laughs> nah, I've no interest at all. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, it was great, wasn't it? Yeah. Just, I thought oh, it was terrible. Fucking, what what was that ref at? You know, just throw <laughs> generic ones. What was he doing with that? Like, Great goal, wasn't it? It was nil all. Oh, <laughs> Bollocks. <Found out>. <laughs> <laughs> so that was that was Andrew and, and Uncle Nicholas. Is that, that our correspondence for the week? No, no, no. We got no there's a there's a big one. There's Ooh. a big one in the email that I'm gonna have to come back to because it's a big one. I'm gonna have to uh I'm gonna to have to edit it and have a look because it's a it's a long long one. But in the meantime, well, actually, before before we get into that one, before we get into the recent one, one, one we missed a couple of weeks ago, and one that that you were on for, were you on for? You were on for Cody, weren't you? I was. Yeah, yeah. We had a, we had a follow up email from from Cody. For anyone that listens, we had Cody. She was on talking about childhood abuse that she, that she had experienced. Mm. Cody, Cody, not her real name. After our episode with with Ashley from the Black Lives Matter and being black mm. in America, the experience of that on her mental health, um, she had mentioned Ashley had mentioned how the pill had a huge, huge impact on her mental health and mm. pu- almost pushed her to the point of to the point of su- to the point of suicide. Cody got in contact after listening to the episode. I said, hey, Alan, just listen to the newest episode. And Ashley mentioned how the pill affected her. And I mentioned, and I meant to mention this to you, but the pill has had a huge effect on me too. There was a time I was changing my pill and on Prozac at the time. During this time, 
was when I had my suicide attempt. Me and my partner definitely put it down to the pill, put me over the edge. And I know another girl who had serious mood problems since going on it. I definitely think it's a huge factor people never talk about, that people never think about. Just that I let you know, because it happened to me too, for sure. I know everyone has different experiences, but the pill is lethal for mental health, in my opinion. So thanks, Cody, for, for letting us know on that. That'll be an interesting one. If anyone else has had any experience of that, we'd we'd love to shed some light on that for, for everyone else. Yeah, because unfortunately, um, it's not something we have experienced. No, no, nor, nor will we. No. I definitely won't. I've had a vasectomy, so I, won't be, <laughs> I definitely won't be experiencing it. Uh, but yeah, so, uh, you know, anyone out there has had, had, had a similar experience, let us know. So not something... That would have registered on my uh, on my radar to talk or mine, about from no. a mental health perspective. So please do please do reach out. Um, we've had two women, two former guests that have said that it's it's, it's had a huge impact on them, um, and obviously it's going to. You're messing with the messing with chemicals in your body. You know you don't always get that right. So thanks thanks to Cody, and nice to nice to hear from her again. And one of the other emails we had. As I said, there is a big one that that I won't get into because I, I need to unpack it myself. Yeah, because there's a there's a there's a huge amount in there. So this is dear Alan and Peter because this person is listening to older episodes. I just want to congratulate you on a brilliant podcast. I've only been listening for a few days, and so much has resonated with me already from the four episodes I've played so far. You, and my friend, have sixty odd episodes now to listen to. <laughs> so <laughs> let's see if you still hold that opinion afterwards. I had a pretty full-on breakdown two and a half years ago, mainly due to a very stressful job, finally resulting in me being hospitalized with major depression and psychosis. It was probably due to me not talking about my rising stress levels and the common man trait of bottling things up for years that contribute to this. That's why we do this podcast. After the breakdown, I was the guy who couldn't get out of bed and at my lowest point contemplated suicide, albeit briefly. Luckily, that impulse didn't last long as I could never leave my wife and two gorgeous boys in that manner. After spelling the acute hospital, I spent nine months in a halfway house and over a period of time started to spend more and more time back at home i was very local i was very lucky as it was very local to me so I could come and go as i pleased at my own pace i couldn't praise them enough they were so patient caring and supportive they should be opening more of these places up rather than closing them all down they knew my passion was running and it took eight months for one of the nurses who also loved running to persuade me to go out for a run with her my motivation started to improve from that point still not quite sure how I thought my life was over. The mind is so complex. I've been home full time, three months now, and all is going well. Although my memory definitely has been affected by ECT I received. Do you know what ECT is? I don't. Electroconvulsive therapy. Ah, so we, do any, we have a, a guest um, on talking about that? No, no, that was EMDR you were thinking of. Um, oh, that's what that was. Electroconvulsive therapy is, if you look at any of the old movies, uh, uh, one flew over the cuckoo's nest, where they're electrocuting someone's brain. Oh, that's that's illegal, isn't it? No, no, no. That's isn't it? it is. It's used in uh, severe, severe cases of depression, and actually, the research shows that it is. It, it can be quite effective in that. It works. It's, it's obviously not just done shocking, shocking the head like <laughs> would have been done before, but it is. It is something that that's still done, oh. uh, and is and is utilized for for major, major. Um, depressive disorders so that's that's ECT if anyone's experienced that let us know as always uh, so I had the ECT I've been able to live with that by simplifying many aspects of my life including work he no longer works in that same job and I'm in a far better place than I was a few months ago my boys are saying their old dad is gradually returning but still feel very guilty about how this has affected them long term they're teenagers I'm so lucky my lovely wife and family stood by me through all this or God knows where I would have ended up 
Anyway, apologies for rambling on. It's been a very therapeutic writing this down for some reason, which was quite unexpected when I started this email. Well, that's good. That's one of the also reasons I recommended clients at the, the journal. Love the rapport you guys have and the humor is brilliant. I've laughed out loud a number of times already, which is already refreshing for a subject matter that can be really heavy at times. I've become a real fan of your podcast in a short space of time. I can't wait to listen to some more episodes. It's so important to talk about these things and you were doing this in a new and easy to listen way while still getting all the important messages across, which is not an easy thing to do, but sounds so natural to you guys. You're making a huge difference to many people out there and I'm quite sure about that. So keep up the great work. And that that uh, listener has asked to remain anonymous. I think that so should thank- be our new bio. <laughs> <laughs> that listener just summed up our entire podcast. Yeah, I mean that's uh, that's why we do it. Yeah. It's, it isn't it isn't easy, and it isn't very rewarding at times when we try to publicize and you know utilize social media. But when people like that listener and many of the other listeners we've had have come back and say how much it's it's helped them, then there you go. They're the wins, and, and, and we take them. Like we always talk about, if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can do that. You can email us at hello at stmhpodcast.com. You can find us on Twitter at stmhpodcast, our new and, Twitter handle. Mm-hmm. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at Straight Talking Podcast. We talk about every week how difficult it is to share the podcast on social media. Social media platforms are not very helpful to podcasts unless you're planning on putting big money into it. So anything yeah. the listeners can do for us is a massive help. And you might not think it, but even a like, a comment, a share, it really helps. So if you can do that, please do. Nicely plugged, young man. Thank you, sir. Well done. Have you got smiles and rails for me? Oh, I have smiles and oh, rails of plenty. Oh, I'm looking forward to this. <laughs> now, we're going to we'll get my big one out of the way because it's a, it's a smile and a rail. All right. And we kind of touched on it earlier about, about restrictions ending. At mm. the end of October. Mm. On the one hand, I am delighted. You know, this mm. is finally going to be put behind us for the, for the most part. On the other hand, yeah, I am now. terrified. Okay. Getting back to normality is something I was not expecting for a couple of years. Because when, when this first started, they said it'd be at least three years before. Well, not when it first started, when it got serious. Mm-hmm. They said it'd be three years before this was all put behind us. It's by the time it does end at the end of October, it'd be... 19 months in and around that so around half the mm. time and i think i share the same thoughts with a lot of people that it is going to be scary mm-hmm. going back to having full buses trains the lewis that's full buses is back from now isn't that that's it? back that's week? back full, already full yeah. transport yeah. yeah that's back already and then the likes of just not wearing a mask in most places the fact that the the covid cert is basically just going to be obsolete in it's going to be redundant in about six weeks seven yeah weeks. pretty much like and all that hassle for nothing and my i think my biggest issue with it is now any incentive the unvaccinated have to get vaccinated gone is gone yeah and it's it sounds terrible but a big incentive for people to get vaccinated was so they could go inside a pub or a restaurant mm-hmm. yeah, yeah yeah but you're taking that away now the people the 10 percent of people who aren't vaccinated 10 percent of the adult population that is don't have a reason to get vaccinated anymore because they. yeah because 10 percent that aren't vaccinated don't want to be mm. but well the way i would have seen it is that maybe they would have wanted to if they could if they had a reason to yeah but that reason has now been taken away so and I, know, I know a lot of their justification was well so what's the point you can still catch it you can still spread it yeah yeah but it's so you won't be as sick 
What does yeah. that mean? That means you don't go into hospital. You're not taking a place in ICU. Mm-hmm. And that means, well, okay, we have no beds. So we need to make a choice. Is it going to be this younger younger person or this older person? Yeah. And they're going to choose the younger person. Because it's, it's not so, their fault. They're not vaccinated no, yet. Yeah, exactly. Because you could be killing someone's granddad because you chose not to get a vaccine yeah. to be as strongly affected by it. Mm-hmm. And someone loses a loved one because you didn't want to take it. So that's why we've always pushed it and you know we've we've all always spoken about the importance of getting vaccinated for the greater good mm. the greater good yeah so that was a smile and a rile because you know i'm both excited and terrified at the same time mm. my other rile is my current i suppose it's a gum ache more than a toothache because the tooth <laughs> has been removed already mm. so that is a, a big rile we talked about that already but i'm in a lot of pain as we speak here hey, hold it together well man you're doing good I know, made a steal. Fucking champion. Right? Yeah, champion. nobody saw them, there. I just did. I did me flex on camera. Jeans. Look at them, just fucking, yeah. just thriving there. Suck it up, you. Get through it, but you're not sucking it up because you're going to go to dentist. You're going to get a sore. Yes, I am. And you're not going to be a typical man. No, fuck it, be grand. Be fuck, grand. fuck that. Yeah. And my last royal, I had to bring my dog to the vet this week. I know. She got in a fight with another dog, and the other dog kind of took a big lump out of the inside of her ear. Jeez. And for those who don't know, ears for dogs are highly sensitive and mm. filled with blood vessels. So if a dog gets scratched on the ear, it tends to be quite bad. Jeez. So she had a load of stitches and she did have a cone in her head, which we had to remove because her way of getting out of the cone was to refuse eating or drinking. Uh, because, hunger strike. Yeah, because, well, to be <laughs> fair to the poor dog, now her head is quite large. Yeah. So the cone was massive. What kind of dog? It is a canary mastiff, so quite large dog. For anyone that doesn't know, it's one of the bigger breeds and they're actually illegal in most countries. Jeez. Not here. And she's very friendly. She didn't even fight back. It was just oh, wow. she got attacked. But mm. because her head is so large, it's one of the kind of bigger heads of a dog. The cone was abnormally mm. large and she can't fit. She couldn't fit in and out doorways with it on her head. The cone of shame. Yeah, and we have, um, in our house, we have an enclosure for our dogs where we kind of have their beds and stuff, and we mm. have a gate on it. She couldn't fit in and out of the gate because the gate was a little bit smaller than a doorway, so she couldn't get through it, so we had to take the cone <laughs> off her head because she just, mm-hmm. she hated every second of it. And on hunger strike. Yeah, li- literally went on a hunger Well, she went <laughs> on like a big strike. She wouldn't even move. Oh, well, I kind of, I got her into the house just as the, as the drugs wore off because obviously she was on... Um, mm. Anesthetic. Yeah, yeah, literally whacked over. <laughs> so when I got her into the house and it wore off, she kind of just sat there in a huff then. So I had to take it off her after after a, a day because mm. she had to eat. But yeah, so come Saturday now, she'll be getting her stitches removed. Okay now though. Sorry. She's she's okay now. I think when she got the stitch, Sorry. like she wasn't in that much pain. It was just because mm. it was a her ear, there was a lot of blood. Mm. And it could have led to infection. So that was my that was my big rile. I am... Um, I adore my dog, mm. so seeing her get hurt was quite upsetting. Mm. <laughs> but all good. All good now. There. Yeah, That's well, all good from Saturday when she gets removed. She'll be back to normal. Good stuff. Any smiles? Ah, uh, just just the one I mentioned earlier. I don't think I had another one. It's actually been a fairly shit week. 
Yeah, yeah. pretty shit week as well. I was reaching for the, I was reaching for the smiles. Yeah, and 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 the Riles was like, oh fuck this shit. Oh, I do have another smile. Actually, I do have one. My sister's oh. coming home on. She is on Saturday. That's yeah. she's almost forgot about it on top of everything else. Yeah, I haven't seen my new... sister in what fourteen months. I think it was last June. Jesus. Yeah, yeah. I think it was last June. My sister lives in England. For anyone who doesn't know, and just with COVID and. All that shit, she hasn't mm. been able to get home. So it's been 14 months since I've seen her and my nephew. Yeah. So. Looking looking forward to Dee coming home. Yeah. It'll be the first time coming she's up. home since we started this podcast, I think, has it? Uh, yes. To yeah. The, yeah. To the best of the June we started, I think, wasn't it? June, yeah, and I think June I think she was back coming. in England by the time yeah. it started. Yeah. So, yeah, can't wait to see her. Yeah. Yeah, so I think, I think well... Uh, I'd say two is two smiles and two and a half riles. <laughs> yeah, you may have. Oh God, my tea is cold. Balanced. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was Yummy. that was fucking horrible. <laughs> fucking heck! I can't even drink like warm tea. Yeah, no, tea to be. It's not. It's not that. cold, but it's yeah enough to make you go. Oh God, my tea is cold. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So that's our smiles and rails. That's my smiles and rails done. What about yourself? Uh, yeah, I feel like yourself. Shitty week, but uh, uh, persevering and trying to trying to find some good in it and some, you know, he's like, oh, fuck, talk to this. Even on the podcast, I'm like, all right, up we get. Let's get this. Let's get this sorted. Um, but hopefully all, all, all good now at the minute. Um, smiles and rails. Um, so I, was, I mentioned last week I was listening to the Formula One podcast. I've been working through the back mm. catalogue. And not, it's not so much a smile or a rile, but um, just something I thought would, would give people something to consider. So John Todd, Jean Todd, as he's French, used to be the uh, the head of Ferrari while Michael Schumacher was there. And he's one, he was heads of teams and rallying and all of this kind of thing. So basically every single thing he's ever done, he's he's won mm. multiple times as in world championship teams. He is now the head of the FIA. FIA is the, something like the Federation de Internationale Automobile. Mm. Um, basically, they run any kind of motorsport. And uh, they would set the safety standards and all that for Formula One and all mm-hmm. that kind of thing. I was listening to a podcast with him. And he very French. And I was like, oh, my God, he's, he's just so stereotypically cliche. The, uh, you know, the, uh, with the, 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 the uh, <laughs> all the, all the, with the, uh, so that was just like, oh, wow. People, when people stereotype the French. It seems to be fairly accurate it's pretty when accurate, they're talking yeah. English. Well, yeah. the stereotypes are there for a reason. They're not just made up. But but, but he said, you know, uh, I don't know, my whole life, probably never really happy. Uh, moment, momentary uh, moments of happiness. And uh, all my life, anxiety. Always anxious about next thing. Always. I was like, fucking hell. Like, you know, Jean Todd, such, such a high profile and successful man. Is there gone? Yeah, my whole life anxiety. I was always anxious about the next thing. I was anxious about the next thing. You know, don't don't worry about it if you're going through the same thing. Don't be beating yourself up because there he is coming out. He's now the president of the FIA. You know, he does a lot of a uh, lot of work around and automobile safety in general. Your you know your cars would they would have an influence on road cars and stuff like that. So if John Todd, don't be anxious. So can you? We should get John Todd in the pod. I, I it might be just a little outside of our scope now. We'll reach out. Well, maybe if the <laughs> listeners share a lot more. If anyone knows Jean Todd, please do. Please do reach out to him. Tell him, John, 
the lads there are willing to have you on. Yeah, not with a crack over there. They're willing. They'll slag it. <laughs> uh, Jean, you have the uh, with the uh, Formula One. <laughs> we're willing to let you on the podcast. We're willing to let you on. We'll take it, John. You know, we're here to do our bit. If we can help you, we're happy. We're happy to do yeah. that as well. So not so not so much a smile or royal, but just a little thing I thought was important. To, important to raise comment. for people that may be going through either depression or anxiety. Um, royal, I, I don't. I kind of like. I'm trying to give the benefit of the doubt. But I'm kind of like, I don't fucking see there being one. James started school again on Tuesday. Okay. Dropping him to school. I was standing outside the school waiting. I was watching as he... So what they've done at the schools now, they've staggered the start times. Yeah. yeah. So they like to kind of have 10 minutes in between, something mm-hmm. like that, which is a great idea. You know, I think to, I hope to continue that. Um, instead of everyone starting at nine o'clock and everyone finishing at such and such a time, so as I was waiting and he, as he was going in, I just looked around and there was a kid in a buggy, uh, drinking a bottle, okay, and eating a tub of Pringles, large tub of Pringles, and he was digging into them. As I, not the fucking most nutritious of breakfasts, but you know, let's let's not judge. The only problem, the child was in a fucking uniform. Huh. The child was like school going age. He was James's age. So he was either going into junior infants or senior infants. And he was in a buggy. In a buggy, drinking a bottle. What the fuck? I know. Is that the parents from grown ups? I don't know. It's just like, fucking hell, like. Shit. Yeah. I mean, that's, what's the, I don't know. It just, it's it's kind of more of a bafflement maybe than a royal, but I was just like, again, I'm you know trying not to judge or anything, but you know how fucking protective I am around children and stuff mm. like that. I was like, you are not doing anything good for the child there. Holy shit, that child is going to be baby until he's forty five. Yeah, yeah, um, difficult thing to 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 witness, but I don't know. Yeah, you know, it's not it's not going to be good if you're having a large tub of Pringles, and I mean he was milling into them like. Um, Jesus Christ we, we spoke about the podcast before I asked Peter the question before of you know do you consider childhood obesity do you consider it abuse and Pete was like yeah absolutely definitely yeah um, and that's that's what you know it's just got to be conscious just got to be conscious of fucking what kids are eating and yeah eat, eat whatever you like but you know uh, when, the kids are going to eat what they see you eating you know, yeah, you're like when, when you get to a certain age you can kind of eat what you like and if you're obese you're obese so, but yeah it was diff- difficult Jesus difficult Christ, have fucking... more more a bewilderment oh, perhaps are you gone royal because i'm trying not to be i don't know the specifics of the whole thing but yeah i kind of seen enough of that i don't want to i don't want to get into more details on um he smiles i'll have that as a semi-royal he smiles cameron is gone by the looks of it yeah, yeah. I'm back. Guess what your royal will be next week. Well, that this was my royal last week. Remember, I said to you that my my <laughs> internet would die for like a second. So for everyone listening, to Cameron Cameron's royal last week that his that his internet just dies, just cuts out for literally thought, half a second. Yeah, as I thought, well, he just obviously just zoned out there listening to me, which is fairly standard. There was an actual reason for it yeah. this time, which was <laughs> the internet went. <laughs> So we're back baby. for literally a second, but that second is long enough for Riverside to think. Cuts, well, cuts out, fuck cuts you, everything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, fucking be like yeah. that then, dickhead. <laughs> and booted me. Yeah. So my smile has a. As I don't know if you got or not. I've been watching uh, Ted Lasso. Have you watched no. that? No. Okay, I I definitely didn't get your smile. Yeah, Jason Sudeikis, whatever his name is. I didn't used to like him because he was married to Olivia Wilde. 
and I love Olivia the Wild. <laughs> so um, you didn't like him over jealousy? As far as I know. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> but I like him again. I know he, he, he's always been good. He always seems very like him. But it's about an American football coach who comes over to coach in the Premier League. Uh, it's just good. Nice, nice, feel good kind of stuff. He's he's very good in it. Um, very likable. And for anyone that doesn't has watched it, so you're one that owns the football team. It's like this big, you know, big stunning blonde. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was like, I fucking know that name. And I looked up her name. And um, do you remember Game of Thrones? Shame. Yeah. Dong. Shame. Dong. Um, that's her. Oh. I was like, what? No fucking way. What's her name? Hannah Hannah Waddington. So anyone will know her as your one that used to torture Cersei's for being a bit of a dirtbag. Yeah. <laughs> a bit. And um, she goes around, yeah, shame, shame, does all that piece. So check her out pictures from game of thrones you could do it there hannah waddington from game of thrones and then hannah waddington from ted lasso oh she looks Everyone very different this. she looks very different yeah. yeah so ted lasso has but unfortunately oh, they, you know you've been there's a side by side photo there hannah yeah. waddington <laughs> talked about being waterboarded for 10 hours on set yeah so that would have been the bit yeah. of game of thrones yeah well i didn't think they actually oh my god they actually did it Man, they'll be doing bits of it. Uh, she said it was the worst day of her life. So that's me smile, Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso's me smile. Me other smile, you you got a demonstration of it at the weekend, as as Ashling used it. Me new steamer. Oh, yeah. Steam cleaner. Yeah. So that's that's had me smiling. Um, God, you were delighted about that thing. Ashley yeah, was more she, no, she was... So I bought it. She came in, she started using it. So Sunday, as you were trying to have a nap, she was in fucking doing the grout on me shower. Mm. <laughs> She couldn't wait to she couldn't wait to have a go at it. So that's that's me smiles, that's me Riles. This week we're talking to Neve about being a carer for her younger sibling. Neve, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Yeah, as I was just saying off just before we started recording there, normally we would you know, when we're keeping things anonymous, we you know, we don't give location or anything like that. But Neve, we're gonna have great difficulty in trying to say where you're not from <laughs> <laughs> when we hear the accent coming out of you. <laughs> You're from Newcastle, man. Yeah. Right. yeah. Now, if you had you had contacted us uh, a while ago, you've been quite busy, so we it took us a while to kind of get you on. Are you okay for me just to read out what you had originally emailed us as, as a topic suggestion before we get into a little bit further? Yeah. Yeah. So outside of the other bit that was mentioned, Neve had emailed us, I suppose, I'm just emailing to suggest a topic for the podcast. I'm a sibling carer to my twin sister, so not her younger sister. Well, it could be, by a few minutes or so, can we? I'm a sibling carer to my twin sister and think that caring for a sibling is something that isn't really talked about. You're absolutely right, Neve. Uh, I was listening to your episode on defense mechanisms, and I made me think that about all carers and the need to feel to repress their own emotions when they're having to care for anyone else, especially if the person they're caring for is suffering with mental health. Therefore, I was just wondering if you've considered doing an episode of Caring for Loved Ones Suffering with Mental Illness. You have considered it, Neve, and here you are. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you so much for, 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 for reaching out to us. Um, how did you find the podcast? Let's, let's start with that. You, you, you reached out to us for a reason. I presume you'd heard of us or something. Yeah, I just popped up on my Spotify uh, one day. So I just got on it that way with a suggested podcast and then started listening oh, yeah. to it. Good. So. And you heard something then on the on the defense mechanisms. On that episode, we had Lloyd. We went to UK again. Lloyd was in, in Wales. And we were talking about defense mechanisms and emotional repression, emotional suppression and stuff like that. And it kind of resonated with you then that 
uh, well, as a carer, you have to repress a lot of a lot of your own emotions. Definitely, I think it's something I struggled with a lot of just sort of plowing on, keeping busy, keeping up appearances because mm-hmm. it was the easiest thing to do, especially looking after someone, especially my sister, like her mental health always seemed to dominate. So it just seemed the easiest thing just to mm-hmm. keep going and keep busy. Um, what is the nature of, of the caring? Uh, you know, why, why does she require a carer then? If... Um, she's got borderline personality disorder and um, she's been in the hospital with mental health and repeated like overdoses and stuff like that. So it's been quite tough emotionally more than anything yeah. else and just trying to keep it safe. So. And you're a full-time carer for it, is it? Um, uh, me and yeah, my mom, yeah. yeah. And what, what, what impact does that have on you then, Eve? I think it, her own mental health started to deteriorate quite quickly when we were like 16, 17. And obviously that's the age where you start to just want to become your own adult, your own person, start to mm. define you as you type thing, especially as a twin. It was a time we started to sort of separate a little bit and go on our own little paths. Mm, mm. And it seemed quite hard to do that with, I felt like, keep getting dragged back into it a little bit and just sort of, just not being able to do your typical sort of teenage stuff and like uni, I ended up going off to uni and stuff and that was a lot harder trying to juggle everything. Yeah. So just at, just at the time when you're starting to develop your own independence and your own identity and again, you know, and that's even a topic for discussion of, you know, being a twin and, and what that experience is like but as you're starting to go okay well now now our paths are going to deviate and i'm going to walk my own path and become my own person and you were kind of brought back into the fold then because of because of our mental health yeah and is the, the mental health issues was it something that she'd always suffer with or was it just something that had kind of borderline came online as she had adolescence or yeah sort of just came up probably mid-teens and uh, towards the end of secondary school type time it sort of came quite out of the blue to be mm. honest like between us I was probably one who struggled most as a child and going into teens so it was quite weird to have a completely flip I mm. think and obviously around that time of your life is kind of when you're you're trying to focus on becoming your own person which I'd imagine is quite difficult when you're looking to care for somebody practically full-time yeah, and I think with just with being a twin, you're always defined by your care involved mm. anyway, I think, sometimes. But I was always known as, like, my sister's sister rather than just me, oh, okay. if that makes so sense. So you were kind of a, a little bit in her shadow anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. think a lot of siblings can relate to that. Do you ever get that, Cam? Do you ever get that you're a Dina's brother? Or? No, because I am the better of the siblings. <laughs> 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 so you were your Neve's sister. I'd imagine Adina I'd imagine my I'd imagine my siblings hate me just because I'm far better than everybody else. Oh, shit. Your your modesty knows no bounds. <laughs> I used to get it the whole time. You're Nikki's brother. No, no, no. Nikki's my brother. I, I I'm the older. Yeah, but see, Nikki is the social one, so you get caught out by true. not being able to speak to people. <laughs> Who are you? Oh, yeah, I know Nikki. I don't know you. Who are you? Like, yeah, you don't fucking know me because I don't talk to anyone. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I am known, but uh, many times you've had to pull that. But that that's annoying in and of itself. I mean, even, even in a you know jokey kind of fashion like that, it is that you're not you know known mm. as as yourself. You're known as your sibling, yeah. your, your your sibling, sibling. Mm. Yeah, and I think when it comes to 
even just talking about the situation with people, the question is always, how was your sister? And then, how was your mom? I uh, often find that the last question is, how was you? Which is quite odd when you're talking about friends. Yeah, well, normally it'd be, it should be yourself. Uh, and, asked about first. Yeah. yeah and, and I never used to sort of talk about how I was mm. feeling. I'd like even let people know and stuff like that. But now I do, but it still still puts you on that back foot of like, well, if I'm talking to you to say something's not right and it's still not really being asked, I think that's, do you find times. do you find you're forgotten about in it then, Eve? Or do you feel forgotten about? I, I probably feel a little bit, but I think again going back to defence mechanisms, I think it's a way I sort of present myself. I always talk about stuff in a bit of a jokey or just add a bit of humour mm. to it. But that's the way I like to talk mm. about it. So I think that automatically gives that impression that oh she's doing okay. Mm. There's no need to sort of ask. So you kind of uh, you kind of perpetuate it a little bit. And I, and I see many clients that do that. So, if, um, you, you know, you develop that defense mechanism, whether it is humor or something like that. So everyone's like, oh, Jesus, your Neve was there and made cracking jokes and all that. Like, she's, she's doing great. Mm. Uh, little do you know, perhaps I'm not. But, you know, but that's what we present. And then, unfortunately, yeah. then, as you said, we repress what we are actually feeling. And what's the impact that that's had on you then, Neve, and, and your emotional and your mental health? It, it took quite a bad impact, to be fair, because... I, I never really allowed myself to like feel anything or look at the impact of what was going on. I always felt like my needs had to be a bit less and it it started to sort of come out with university and just struggling to get work done and just sort of, I don't know, I came out on anxiety with me and stuff like that because I just never really talked mm. about it. So I was, it would always come out on a night with not sleeping, with anxiety, panic attacks and stuff like that. But... And then I realised that I probably should stop on myself first a little mm. bit. What 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 I see very often, and I think I probably touched on it in the podcast before, is people that are used to, and even not just like yourself, who would be you know professional care or full time care, uh, people that take on that caring role to look after themselves is a very alien experience, and it can feel very selfish, and you can feel bad because you yeah. do something for yourself. Have you, mm-hmm. have you ever experienced any any of those? Yeah, definitely. I would always feel like there was just sort of no point in looking after myself at times. And now I recognise that's a bit mm. stupid, but I would always think, well, my needs are a bit less, so as long as I take care of everyone else, that that's fine. And it'll just happen by itself magically that I'm fine. But it, it doesn't didn't do magically it. happen, no? <laughs> no, you have to look after number one first. We always yeah. talk about it. You can't look after others if you don't look after yourself. Mm. Yeah, we had Dr. Jane Tornator on a few weeks back and she, she was talking about that of, you know, I think she actually worked a lot with carers, I think Jane had said in, in her episode. And, you know, she's, you know, sent to people of trying to impress on the meat, look after yourself. And she's like, you know what? People come back to me going, you know what? I'm a better carer because I look after myself. She's like, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> in her quite American way, yeah. Um, and and she's and she's absolutely right. You mentioned the anxiety and and panic attacks there for yourself, Neve. Could you say could you say a little bit more about yeah. that? Um, for me, it the sort of started a little bit after it all happened with my sister, and it was the transition to university really, and it all sort of just exploded over that summer with me with panic attacks and stuff. I never really experienced anything like that, and then. 
I think that's once I sort of stopped because I was very guilty of just pulling myself into everything, especially A-levels and stuff. So once I stopped, it just all came and I was suffering from some quite bad panic attacks, but it was all sort of linked to stuff I'd seen my sister do and that and just sort of memories of that popping up and just that constant worry then you came for someone with mental health, like what's going to happen and stuff. It was just your mind's always overthinking. Mm, always. So your, your way of avoiding that was to just bury yourself into your work and your uni stuff? Yeah, massively. But uh, again, that's seen as quite a positive thing, especially if, if you're the student achieving more than what you should be achieving and getting your head down and it's like, well, yeah, there's stuff going on at home, but the grades are good, so she must be fine. It was quite easy to hide behind that and just keep as busy as possible. Mm. You mentioned some of the things you would have witnessed um, with your sister. Any, anything you could touch upon there, Neve, that, that you feel would have affected you or impacted you there as you were talking about? I think it's just um, little things to an extent. Like, well, I suppose not that little, to be honest, but just like, seeing her all the door so knowing she has her and feeling that person to sort of talk to her and like encourage her to get treatment or whatever for that overdose so just to have someone to talk to because before she got on well we were really close as sisters so there was times when she was in crisis she wouldn't really respond to anyone but me so I felt a lot of wow. pressure that if I don't say the right thing what's going to happen is she not going to get the help she needs and stuff mm. because I think that twin bond is still always there, but it's quite hard because it feels like it needs to be a complete different dynamic. So quite dramatic, obviously, witnessing witnessing those overdoses, etc. I'm feeling on edge then. Yeah. Oh Jesus! If I say the wrong thing or I don't do the right thing, is is she going to is she going to overdose again? And is this going to be the one? Yeah, definitely. And there'll be certain little triggers, like again, because we're twins, sort of milestones I was making would sort of make her think oh I should be doing that but I'm not come not well so even just by me sort of getting on with mm. my life as such doing the normal stuff like going to uni or passing your levels or looking to learn to drive and stuff would be quite hard for my sister to see so I felt like I sort of had to filter the normal things you would just talk to with a sister mm. and just sort of celebrate success felt quite hard to do. So you felt like you couldn't talk about couldn't. your own accomplishments because of how she would feel about them? Definitely, yeah. Jesus. That then, so your achievements became a reflection on her of what she hasn't achieved and what what she should be doing in life and and what she isn't. Yeah. Yeah. And what are achievements if you can't tell people about them? What, that what are achievements if you can't tell people about them? Everyone wants to be able to talk about, you know, when stuff is going well, you want to be able to talk yeah. about them. That's kind of half the reason for doing it, is so you can tell people, oh, you know, I've done this and this and. But you obviously haven't had much of that experience. You've almost had to hide your own accomplishments. Yeah, I think my mum's been quite good. Like She's always tried to still make as much as a fuss as possible about it, but it's always felt like it has to be very sort of calculated mm. and filtered to an extent rather than just going, yeah. But I'm sort of finding that balance a bit more now. It is easier. Like, can't celebrate as I would like to with my mm. sister, I can start celebrating with my friends a bit more. And I would often feel guilty for doing that, but now I'll just do it because, like you say, it's important to do so. So, so you yeah. would, there's times where you would feel guilty that you've been living your life, getting on with your life. Massively to the point, I'll probably stop doing a lot of 
things like I, I did the usual just let's do uni but everything extra I would sort of not really do and I, would, I found it quite hard to sort of look towards my future and sort of plan that so I would just do the bare minimum to make it look like I was doing okay to the outside world to be honest and anything else I would stop doing like even little stuff like driving I was learning to drive and my anxiety just got in the way of that and I think it's because that is something oriented towards your future and I wasn't mm. really willing to think mm. that. So until I sorted my head out with that, I found that driving lessons really hard. So it wasn't, it wasn't even so much anxiety around driving, but more the anxiety of, well, I'm doing this and she isn't and I'm feeling bad about this. Yeah, definitely. And I think that, that's, that's, a, that's a very important thing to touch on because uh, we've discussed that anxiety obviously numerous times on the show, but... It it shows the how much psychological anxiety is, you know. So people are there going, oh well, you know, you're just a nervous driver, you know, or anything happens like that. Or actually, no, no, it's actually about something else. This is mm-hmm. this is about me doing something which I feel guilty about doing, and I'm nervous about doing because of how it will reflect on her and the impact then that that will have on her. So you know, trying trying to balance that in your own head. Yeah. I mean that's 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 gonna take its toll on you. Definitely, and I think I didn't appreciate how much that was taking at all until I sort of allowed myself to step back and go, Oh yeah. And I think in a strange way COVID had a massive helping hand with that because it forced us to stop being busy. Like one day I was doing everything at uni all day every day, just not staying out like just socialising with friends or just sat in uni doing work. But obviously overnight I completely mm. stopped. I was forced to sit at home and sit with my own feelings at times because I was quite good at sort of distracting myself with it. But I think being forced to just stop, it was awful, but it's definitely helped in the long term because I couldn't run away from it. Yeah, we, we spoke about lockdown and the impact that that had. And, I, and I've always said that, you know, this can take, this going to have a huge impact on people's mental health because kind of people similarly to what you've said there that have kept themselves busy with work or the gym or study you know they've avoided how they've been feeling now they're faced with i can't avoid myself and i'm forced to sit with these yeah. i had a client during the weekend you know he said um he was talking about work he goes no oh, look I'm, I'm grand i want to have work there as a distraction i'm i'm feeling good and stuff like that but it's when i don't have work i was like all right well let's let's look at that piece and what is it that's that you're experiencing when you're not distracted well, loneliness. Mm. You know, so work was the distraction. And again, as you said, the, the defense mechanisms that, that we put in place. Okay, I'll throw myself into my uni work as much as I can because I don't want to be seen to be getting on too well, but I need to be doing something. And then you take that away. And as you said, then you're you're forced to sit with yourself. And as you were, as you said, forced to sit with yourself, Eve, what, what did you find? Or what did come up for you? I think a lot of it was... I, I do feel quite guilty for what's happened with my sister and stuff and I think sort of just accepting that to an extent and not trying to like look at reasons and saying yeah I might feel a bit guilty but it's probably displaced guilt to an extent mm. like I think anyone would probably feel it but it, it is what it is to an extent and it shouldn't yeah it might affect us but it shouldn't stop us doing what I need to do or what I want to mm. do really Guilt, guilt says I've I've done something wrong. Yeah. What do you think? And at that time, at that process, Neve, what what do you think you did wrong to to feel guilty about? 
I just feel like I should have spotted the signs earlier with my sister because we did sort of live in each other's pockets at that point. We sort of seemed to know everything about each other. And I think the fact I didn't spot it, and again, as a twin, you, you feel like you are the closest mm. person to that other person. And I wonder if she was wanting me to realise signs, which I didn't realise. But, but then I look back and think, I, I was young at that point. I well, was like, at that time, Eve, just to remind yourself. 15, 16. Yeah. So it's like, know? at and that you, point, and I didn't just really knew nothing on about top of that, it's, I know kind of the guilt is there because all of your family members, you should know everything about them, but you're not a, a mental health expert. You're not a therapist. It's Realistically, it's not, it's not your job to know that stuff. So yeah, you're probably, the guilt probably is a bit misplaced. And for all for all that's worth, I can't imagine it. It really does much to change your opinion on it, but it's it's not your fault. Yeah, and you were, you were a kid. Yeah. Yeah. As I said, you know what you know. Fifteen, sixteen. You know. Fifteen, sixteen. You don't even know your own feelings, let alone yeah, other exactly, people's. Yeah. You're trying to figure out what the hell am I feeling? What's wrong with you? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you know what's wrong with her? I definitely don't fucking know. I don't even know yeah. what's wrong with me. Yeah. yeah. Definitely, and I think. It, I think, in a way, it's a weird sort of age. Cause at that age, you think you know everything, oh, and you don't. Yeah, yeah. You're probably still at that age, Lee. I know what Cameron is. <laughs> it's, no, it's true for me. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Not for anybody else. Uh, Cameron's going to find out in a few years' time. Oh, shit. I've learned a lot more. Maybe I didn't know everything at that, that time. That, that won't happen. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, yeah, I mean, there is, there is plenty more to... But you carried it. You you took that leave, and I think you know if there's a common theme already from what we spoke about is how much responsibility you've taken for for her mental health. Yeah, and I think that was a massive thing. Like I did go into therapy myself, and that was the main theme of it, just the responsibility. And I think until I did that bit of therapy, I I don't think I would move past it. Cause it sort of did help us realize mm. that. That responsibility was massively misplaced. And like, was there, was some of that was some of that put on by parents, or was it something you took on yourself? I think it's something I took on myself. Mm. I think my mom was very good at sort of trying to not make us take that responsibility, but it it's just my mom, so a single parent background, and I think that made it harder because at that age, I sort of stepped into that sort of second parent role like me and my mm. mom spoke about this at the time and it's like me and my mom were there to support one another because we didn't really we had a bit of external family but it's hard we were only one in that household living through it every day so we went on mm. each other but then also had to be that united front for my sister and I think at that age it is a lot of responsibility to take on even if it's like to do with like financial pressures and stuff you sort of see more of the house and how it runs and stuff but my mom took time off work and stuff and I knew that was quite a real pressure mm-hmm. and real anxiety so it just adds to it things most 16 year olds probably don't have to think mm-hmm. about or shouldn't have to think about you, you, you mentioned your mom a, a bit there uh, Neve. your dad your dad wasn't there or you haven't you haven't mentioned him no okay. he's never so you mm-hmm. You really took on that extra burden of um, what what can sometimes get called in in that family dynamic of the surrogate spouse or the parentified child 
one of the things yeah. you often hear me talk about on the podcast is nature abhors a vacuum. Something will be something will be found to fill that space. So the space vacated by that other parent, you stepped into to fill that role. You took on all that pressure as a child that wasn't yours to take on. And of course, that's highly anxiety inducing mm-hmm. when when you look at everything that you're supposed to supposed to do or think you should be doing. Yeah. Was was that? I, I'm I'm just kind of putting it out there. Was that your experience? Yeah, definitely. And I felt like that would always take sort of precedence over just going out with a friend mm-hmm. and stuff. Like I would never do it. I would never just take me time if that mm-hmm. makes sense. It would always. It just didn't feel like the right thing to do and even going off to university felt a massive sort of step to do and it just didn't feel the right thing to do I, I did it because the, my family were really supportive and like no you need to keep going along your mm. path but that, that was definitely difficult so the way the way it's you saw it is you could never really have you time because you were always focused on having kind of your sister's time get home yeah. help your sister help but, your mom can't be here can't eat yeah. out acting the bollocks, just laying back and enjoying your time with your friends, just get out for a bit and pressure to get back home. Yeah. And I think that understanding amongst friends, I felt like, I think it's easier now because we're all of a bit of an older age and people start to understand more. But at that time, I felt I couldn't really go out with my friends and even just let off a bit of steam and say a little bit about the situation because I, I didn't want to overload them because it's not, things you want to be telling a 16, 17 year old and people don't know how to respond. I don't want to put them in that position. Mm. So I just didn't. That fear of kind of something we've touched on many times in the podcast with our guests of feeling like a burden or that you're dumping yeah. on them and it's too much, it's too much for you. So obviously it's too much, it's too much to be putting onto them. So I did my clinical um, and I did them with, um, with the carers association. So I would have seen um, carers. There were usually adults. Uh, all the ones I had were actually adults looking after their elderly, their elderly parent. And it's a huge, it's a huge, huge pressure that's that's taken upon or put upon as as well that you may not take it upon, but it can be put upon by maybe other family members not wanting to do it, vacating the role, so it falls to someone that has to that has to do it. Um, had a client recently who had a, um, a brother who was quite autistic and had been told from a young age that, you know, well, it's going to be on you. You're going to have to look after your brother now when we're gone. And, um, you know, that's a, that's a horrendous, horrendous amount of pressure to put on a put on a child and being told and other, other situations I've seen where they're told, you know, well, you know, you won't be able to live abroad now or anything. You know, you have to stay close to home so you can look after your your sibling or whatever it may be. Uh, is that something you ever put on yourself, or you know, do you see yourself moving abroad or you know going anywhere, going off to live a? No, it's it's definitely something I've put on myself massively. Like even at times of looking like now I'm done with uni and stuff I've always felt I need to stay quite close by because like I, I, I can't see my sister's mental health getting overly great like she was in supported living and st- well she is at the moment so she's always going to need that decent level of care and I think it is that worry that 
there's going to be a time my mum's not there and it will fall on me. I know it will and I think I take that on a lot more than I think I let anyone realise, to be fair. It's always back of your mind, like any decision I made. I think I'm getting a bit better about like just making decisions now on myself and actually living a bit of life before that happens, if that ever does happen, rather than defining myself by it and sort of just waiting because I'm both not living a life. Mm. But it's definitely something I've put on myself. Yeah, um, and, and that internal infliction rather than external. The thing that yeah. kind of struck me as you were talking there, uh, Neve, earlier on, and it's going to sound like a very strange <laughs> um, point that I'm going to make, but it reminded me we had Heather Hutchison on um, a little while ago about being blind. And, you know, people would come up and all they ever asked about was the dog. And and it kind of struck yeah. me that you're similar kind of experience. Everyone's asking about someone else, but no one's asking about you. How's your sister? How's your mom? And then it might get around to, to how are you? Yeah, definitely. And I think at times I found it easier, like, I worked part-time, I found it easier not to really mention any of it and just sort of keep it very separate for a good couple of years. But then but then it gets to the point where if I don't mention I've got a sister, I don't mention how well my sister mm. is, then that's always going to affect my health as well. And then it stopped me from talking about my own health, my own needs uh, with my paid job because it felt easier to keep them two completely distinct. But... It's not as easy as that once you get into the logistics mm-hmm. of it, even if it's just needing time off to like visit my sister and she's in hospital or something, or just working slightly different shifts. Like, if we didn't know the situation, like they didn't for a long time, I could never go and ask for that. But it felt easier for them not to know because then I would actually get known as myself, not as my sister's sister. Mm-hmm. So, so that, that felt you, you try to live that disjointed life keeping those parts very separate but it just it, it wasn't it wasn't doable no issues in the yeah. no. they're wondering why you might need time off work or something might happen and you're trying to make up excuses or then it comes to the point where you have to tell them and did did you tell them did it come, get to that point Neve? yeah i think more more car realized the damage it was causing because i stuff would happen with my sister and i would just go to work regardless and just sort of bottle it up for an eight-hour shift, which is never helpful, wobble and running and sick or anything. Or, and I got to the point, again, after lockdown, I thought I may as well, it's a clean slate, I may as well just go and say, this is what's going on. It's been going on for X amount of time. I just want to make you aware. So it was more or less the first couple of shifts after lockdown. I just thought the conversation needs to happen. Mm. How did they respond to that then? Really positive, to be fair, and it's like, oh yeah, I should have done that, <laughs> like f- four years ago, three years ago. Oh wow, it's gone now. on that long. Yeah, so I think I worked there for a year before they knew anything mm-hmm. really, which is a long time to keep it quite separate. But I I had mentioned there of you know some sort of similar to to Heather that everyone asked about the the dog, um, and everyone asks about your sister, cares tend to get forgotten about in all of this because everyone worries about the person that needs to be cared for. Has, has yeah. that been your experience? Yeah, definitely, because especially when it comes to mental health, I think, like, 
the risk to Abby not being here and her losing her life was really high at times and still is. So it felt like a logical thing just to focus all your energy on that and let's protect that person. But it, it was it was difficult because, like you say, my, my own needs sort of just got forgotten about, like, because it just... Even if I would go and go, oh, I'm struggling a bit, it would always be, well, what's happened? Like, is everything okay with your sister? And I found that quite difficult, especially later on when it would just be my anxiety in general, rather than, like, not really anything had happened. It would just be the general situation was getting on top of us. But then it just felt like that experience wasn't valid anymore because it had to be attached to something my sister had done, not just, like yeah, I'm not feeling great mm. today. It, I didn't have a good night's sleep or whatever. It always had to be, oh, what's happened? Even messaging friends, it would be like, oh, something happened with your sister, not like, oh, well, what's going on for you? Even if it was like, you're always going to get stressed submitting essays or whatever, but it just felt like those experiences weren't valid if it wasn't attached to something which had happened with my sister, which was difficult at times. Had, had to be as an extension of her. Oh, you're yeah. not feeling well or there's something wrong with you. Has to be because of something that's happened with your sister. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm presuming sometimes that would be true, but it just became the be-all, catch-all for anything that might be wrong with you. Yeah. yeah. You mentioned you mentioned earlier of, of counselling or you had therapy, is that right? Yeah. It, what what, what uh, got you to the point of, of, of getting in there in the first place? Um, it was beginning of university and I just knew things weren't right. I was having a lot of panic attacks mm. and stuff and I, I knew that something had to change. Otherwise, I, I couldn't be there for my sister anymore and it just felt like... But, but even that I did it for your sister. Yeah, <laughs> I, definitely. And I think whilst I was in therapy, I realised that the reasons I went in... I, at first was probably not the right reason, so it didn't really help, like, for the first... It, it took a lot to actually just want it for myself because, like like you say, I was always doing it for her, not because I felt it was the right thing to do. You weren't that doing it for you. You, yeah. were, you were doing it so you could be better for her rather than yeah. be better for yourself. Yeah. What, what was something that stood out for you from the experience of, of therapy then, Eve? Um, I... I I did have two lots of therapies, mm. and I think the second lot, like what I touched on upon there, like what started for me, I convinced myself I was doing it for me, but I realised I wasn't, and I think until you go and do it and fully want to change, I think part of us didn't really, I felt, as much as it was a really difficult situation, I felt comfortable in that situation to an extent, and it's what I had known for the majority of my young adult life, and it was it was an easy thing to do, and I think undoing those behaviours of just plowing myself into work mm-hmm. or whatever like that was difficult and until I realised that yeah one I need to be willing to make some big sort of changes and two do it for myself and don't do it for any sort of external people and stop making excuses of why I can't do something I'll, as much as other people are guilty of attaching anything to my sister I was as well like, I can't do this because of my sister I can't do that it was, and I realised I had to sort of just quit with all the excuses and just do it for myself. Mm. And it definitely made the two lots of therapy completely different in terms of how successful being an outcome. 
and the, the successful one or the more successful one what, what, yeah. what helped you in that outside of doing it for yourself or what was something you learned or what was something that you experienced that made it a, a better experience for yourself I think it was all about just sort of appreciating the emotions I was feeling and not trying to like understand why I was feeling those emotions it's just overthink and overanalyze it sort of because there is a lot of frustration with the situation and that's one emotion I would never allow myself to go, yeah, it is a bit crap, like, let's be honest. Mm. And I am a bit frustrated, a bit angry because it has defined and stopped us from doing stuff I would want to do. And I think that was a massive thing of actually, yeah, it's okay to allow those emotions to happen and recognise them because I'll go, yeah, I'm upset, I'm this, I'm that, but I will never say, yeah, I'm frustrated, I'm angry. I'm angry at the situation and to an extent I'm angry at my sister mm. but I haven't gone through this. So being able to express that and being being able, I suppose, to admit that to yourself. Yeah, yeah. validated. And of course yeah. of course you'll be angry and of course, as I said, as we said earlier, of at the point that you're starting to establish your own independence and you're you know, you're getting old enough to be able to go out into the world on your own. But then that's put on hold. Yeah. So of course, and and then of course you feel guilty for being feeling angry. Is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah there yeah, you definitely. go. <laughs> I knew, yeah. I knew from what you've spoken about, hundred percent. But she felt she felt bad about feeling angry. <laughs> it's yeah. such it's such a common experience for people, and it's bad enough that you're feeling guilty, and it's bad enough that you're feeling angry. But then then you compound it by, well, telling yourself that you're bad or there's something wrong with you that, you know, you shouldn't be feeling this way. Um, yeah, yeah, that yeah, definitely played a part of our one time just like it, it was the guilt for feeling that way like yeah you might feel like you've lost experiences but she's lost more experience and it was always comparing yeah you might feel like this but it's a clear example that someone's worse off so you're not valid in feeling what you're feeling and I think understanding that was just not true yeah. was a massive step in the right direction. So dismissing your own experience yeah, yeah. Um, we kind of touched on it a little bit before of it can be a little bit and sometimes it's good you know sometimes that can be a good attitude that we we think well you know bigger picture you know well you know I got a roof over my head or you know etc etc you know food in my belly all that kind of thing and that can that can be good to an extent you know it kind of gives us some big picture perspective but what it can also do is exactly like you've done there is diminish our own experience and minimize what it is that we're going through i was like well no actually this is shit this is shit that you know yeah. you've had to put so much of your life on hold this is shit of the traumatic experiences that you've witnessed you know your sister around her suicide this is shit that moving forward in life she said your mom's not always going to be there and it's it is probably going to, to fall on you and and that is shit and it's okay it's okay to acknowledge that you know, it's not trying to smile through clenched teeth of going, that's great. Well, you know, at least at least I can drive. You know, you have you have to acknowledge that for yourself uh, because you are going to feel yeah. it. And when when you when you deny it, you know what we resist persists. Those those emotions are going to keep coming back. So I think that the fact that you have been able to acknowledge the anger, justifiable anger that's there, to to a therapist and have that validated for yourself, I hope. Um, will will we'll certainly help and will help anyone that 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 is in that position. That, yeah, it, it's it's okay to be pissed off about this. You know, you don't yeah. you don't have to like it. It is it is a shit situation yeah. for for all involved. Yeah, definitely. I think going off on that, I think 
sort of allow myself in a way I'm not sure if this is the right word but like grieveful experiences I've lost with my sister and I think that's been a massive thing like just the fact we haven't been able to go and sit in a pub together and have a drink or just do the typical sister things like that would be then then there's people at work going oh I'm doing this with my sister this weekend or I'm doing that or even during lockdowns and people were just sat watching a film with the family and that together time like we just didn't have that my sister was in hospital at that point and stuff and it was just I think grieving those sort of experiences of the time we have lost Mm. and like yeah she's still my sister but we've both got completely different roles than what we did before she was unwell and sort of acknowledging that was a massive sort of part to it and if we go back to our to our episode on grief where we had Mags Bone on um there's also the anticipatory grief of the life that you won't have with her Mm-hmm. you're not yeah. going to be two sisters going out on the lash in a pizza or something you know you're you're going to be quite restricted of and it sounds like you know twin or not it sounds like you were you were very close and, and, and are still very close and like that of you know you would go out with your sister to the pub or you would go out and have yeah. those experiences but that's obviously going to be so limited even yeah. in the future hey, we were we were massively close like well, we would have the same friendship group and everything and would would never really seem to do anything separate. Mm. Like we shared the same bedroom and everything. We were just completely together, and overnight that seemed to just completely change. And I think looking back, it wasn't as overnight as it seemed, but it, it definitely was a sudden sort of shift. And yeah, my role isn't so much as a fun, go-loving sort of happy mm-hmm. sister. It's completely mm. changed. And is there is there specific uh, support around mental health for carers? There's nothing like there's some like parent support groups and stuff which my mom's part of, and like that's often offered her a lot of support. But I've tried. There's nothing out there for especially mm-hmm. sibling carers. Like there's some stuff for young carers, and I attended a couple of things, but just felt quite. It it was for it wasn't just for mental health, and I think. Being a carer for someone with mental health is completely different than being a carer for physical health. Anyway, then, yeah. yeah, and then further on to that, being a carer for a sibling rather than uh, like loads of, of young carers caring for the parents and stuff, and it just mm-hmm. felt like people paying top trumps to us to some extent. Like, oh, I've got this worse, and it just felt quite like, well, it's mental health; you can't really see mm-hmm. it, and it's not your parent going through mm-hmm. it, and at least you've got one parent helping you. It just felt quite sort of yeah like competitive like oh I've got it yeah. once and it just wasn't a great sort of support it wasn't a supportive environment to be part of the support group and wasn't think, supportive <laughs> no yeah. and, and there's very little out there and even in terms of like then there's been hospital admissions it would always be to mum well ring the ward any time and we'll always here to support you and it'll be obviously the support there for my sister and as much as I was visible and present I was always just a bit on the sidelines or if crisis team would come out we'd always go to my mum how's you and obviously to my sister speak to her it would never not even like hello how are you it was very and it's like one one simple question what could be asked wasn't often asked and it's like it, it just felt like you were completely sidelined. And, really invisible, Leave. Yeah, a little mm. bit. But, yeah. 
so this this kind of hierarchy of oh well you know I'm looking after my elderly mother there and I have to shower or I have to wipe her arse or anything like that you don't have to do any of that but what you face is well I don't know if my sister's going to kill herself it's a very different dynamic thing yeah it's that constant fear it's like the constant of you if I go to work and my phone's in the locker and I can't answer it for eight hours I am I going to come back and like what am I going to say on that phone or like the sort of shifts I work, like I would ring my mum on a break and go, Oh, house wins and then be told some like, Oh, this has happened, that's happened and then just expect it to go back into work because that's the only time we can have that conversation mm. or whatever and it's it's completely different because if that was physical needs you would have to be present to deal mm. with that and then you can't really close the door on that love you of is she gonna be here, is she not gonna be here? Like it's it's always knocking around. So even you get a phone call or a message on your break and work, you got to park all that, get back to work and hold that in mind then for the rest of the day. Or Yeah, and just pretend you didn't see it until you finish your shift. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thankfully, Neve, and I hope what this has done is it has opened people's eyes to the impact that being a carer does have on your mental health and not just being a carer but being a minority in that caring group of being a sibling carer rather than a parent looking after a child or a child looking after a parent yeah um, hopefully Neve, and I, I really hope that you know you as much as possible get to live your life by your terms and get to make your way in the world that was straight talking carers with Neve, not her real name a little bit different than what we're used to and that we're talking about how your mental health can affect others around you and how that can kind of leave a footprint on them. As always, you can email us at hello at scmhpodcast.com. You can find our website, scmhpodcast, and you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Straight Talking Podcast. And you can find us on Twitter at our new handle at stmhpodcast. Big thanks to Fiona O'Brien, that's F-O-B Beats for the intro music. If you're a singer or a rapper or whatever, he'll look after you. Fiona's great at what he does. And as always, folks, look after yourself, look after each other. And now we're going to go to Neve for the last word. Take it away, Neve. One of the things we do on the podcast every week, Neve, is we, we offer any of our guests to come on to share some words of wisdom, some life learnings that they've taken so far as they made their way through this very difficult journey of life. Uh, we throw that over to you today to maybe... Share something that you learn or offer some advice or words of wisdom to, to all of our listeners out there. I think it's something very similar, like very simple, really. but just sort of look after yourself and put yourself first and it's not the one thing to do. And as much as it can seem quite a negative experience, like there's always positives to take out of it. And I don't think I would be as strong as a person if it wasn't for that, but you need to work on yourself to sort of see the positives mm. as well and just look after yourself and life can be good as much as it's difficult it can still be yeah. good self-care isn't selfish mental health mental health the mind is a terrible